and welcome back to Coaching with the Bible. This week, the portion of Pinchas on succession. About seven or eight years ago, I was working for a national religious Jewish organization, and I had the really distinct pleasure and honor of traveling overseas with a high-level delegation to France. And we were visiting the Jewish community uh, in France, and it was a gathering of leaders from real major, powerful, large, strong, representative Jewish organizations to go on this trip. And I was the youngest person in that group by a lot of years. And I don't say that to sort of boast or to brag, but to make a following point. One evening at one of the events, I was standing and talking to one of the senior leaders among the group. And someone came over and asked if I was his son. And not that we had any sort of resemblance, but I was probably 30 years younger than him. And it got me thinking, and I looked around the room, and it was clear that just by nature of the organization I was working for and the work I was doing, that I was the youngest person in the room by many, many, many years. And it actually worried me, not excited me, it worried me because these were all super talented people who had experienced and had accomplished a tremendous amount in their careers. And there was no one, it appeared, who could succeed them in their positions in their organizations. And I raised the issue with one of the leaders and he said, yes, this is a big issue. It's not something anyone's talking about. Fast forward eight years since then, and most of the leaders that were in that group are in fact still in that group. They're only just older. They're still accomplishing, but they're only just older. And so succession as a concept and succession as a planning feature, as a strategy, is not something that not only nonprofits don't do well, but organizations in general don't do well. And it's important to consider and to think about what that means and how that plays a role and where it fits in to what it is that we are all trying to do and accomplish. There is succession planning in nature. There's primary succession. There's secondary succession. Depending on the conditions that are changing and to what different items and life are coming back to a space, the notion of succession is the notion that there is of all things, constant and consistent change that's going on that needs to be adapted to, that needs to be prepared for, that needs to be thought about, and if can be, strategized around for long-term success and a long-term future. Without some sort of succession plan, as one of the articles that I read on the subject makes the point, without a plan, then the likelihood is that Something happens and there's a tragic situation or there's a void and the situation, the business is in trouble, the organization is in trouble because there's no leader. And so they ask the question, which is this, if X happens to you, who would run your business? The follow-up question is, are they trained? Are they prepared? It's an enormous question. If the answer to those two things is, I don't know, or Um, I know, and the answer is no, then there is a real situation potentially in play that could be a disaster. 
And if the question is, well, I don't need to do this yet because I'm not planning on retiring, I'm very healthy, or I've thought about it, or the plan is in my head, but it's not on paper, it's not being executed, then that's a red flag. And the timing of this probably is as, according to much of the literature, as a person begins to succeed, that is when they have to start thinking about succession. So succeeding and succession sort of go hand in hand with each other. And the reason I raise this this week is because in the Bible this week, Moses has the realization that his time as leader of the people of Israel is coming to an end. And the writing is on the wall, the hints are out there, and as the Bible mentions and the commentaries comment, that in the aftermath of the daughters of Tzlofchad coming and asking about inheritance, Moshe raises the issue with God that he that God needs to find and appoint a successor to him to lead the people. And as Rabbi Sachs writes in an article called Lessons of a Leader, the first lesson of a leader is great leaders care about succession. In the same way that Moses, that Abraham sought out a wife for Isaac so that Isaac could succeed him, in the same way that Jacob tried to establish the, the, the structure of his family so that his children could succeed him, in the same way that Elijah finds Elisha to succeed him, where David appoints Solomon to succeed him, succession is crucial. And I think it is the case that one of the great accomplishments of Moses' career as a leader of the people of Israel, which is most often overlooked, is the establishment and the setting of a succession plan in place for leadership. And that it doesn't end with Moses, that in fact it continues with Joshua. The subject as to how Joshua is chosen or why he's chosen versus some of the other people that are out there is a super interesting and an important topic. Uh, years ago, I gave a topic on a, a, a talk on that subject, filling big shoes, the notion of a person potentially coming in to fill the shoes of Moses. There's a wonderful article uh, written by Rabbi Dr. Chaim Angel on the subject called Moonlit Leadership is the idea of the differentiation and the changes between Moses as a leader and Joshua as a leader. Really fascinating, going into each moment, in each situation where Joshua shows up in the Bible and pulling out interesting lessons to see, well, is he fit for leadership? Is he not fit for leadership? The part that I added, which I never told Rabbi Angel about, I was thinking about who else, who are the other possibilities? So I discuss Caleb, I discuss the sons of Moses, I discuss Pinchas from the beginning of this week's portion as to why those people are not chosen. But it's really beyond the scope here. Moses is concerned about succession. And he puts out an, a, a structure of success, of that successive leader, excuse me, that person, that leader, and that leader is different than Moses. A lot of the different commentaries and articles on the subject here in the reading note that effectively Moses is describing a person that he isn't. And he's putting out a set of character traits and requirements for this role, for the role that is to be the leader of the people going forward. Not that it has to be a Moses number two, but it has to be the person who is going to be the person to lead the people into the promised land, to help them settle that land. 
And that person and that role is different. So as Marshall Goldsmith is, is oft said, what got you here won't get you there. And what got them here is Moses. And what's going to get them there is not Moses. It's going to be someone else. So the question is who and who's going to fill that, shoe, that, that set of shoes and play that role going forward. And the answer the Bible gives us is that it's Joshua. It's nobody else. It's Joshua. Joshua, according to God, fills that set of criteria. He's going to lead. Moses simply has to appoint him. Moses simply has to do it in front of everyone else. So there was a clear uh, picture and, and, and vision of that succession, a handing over the baton, a quote-unquote uh, knighting of the new leader, crowning of the new leader of the people. And that's exactly how that plays out. So it changes from Moses to Joshua. And as the book of Joshua opens, you immediately see differences in the manner in which Joshua leads from the manner in which Moses leads. And you see a difference in the way that the people react and respond to the way that the people act and respond to Moses. So it's a fascinating interplay. It's a fascinating contrast between what Moses does and what J Joshua does and the notion that each is the right leader for his respective time and generation. And so it's incumbent upon us in the conversation here, this is not so much a coaching conversation so much as it is a leadership conversation, to think about succession and not in the context of thinking about our own personal demise. That is not the idea. It's not that we're at a position like Moses at the end of 120 years and now we know the end is near and we have to do this. This is more about actual success. One of the ways of building and um, fostering greater success in our businesses, in our entities, in our offices, and in our homes is uh, building the value of succession. Succession is effectively about talent development, talent identification, and creating the situation and the space for people to move into new roles and exciting opportunities, to take risks, to be bold, and to accomplish at a higher level. There's a lot of benefits that are described and discussed among the different uh, articles. There's a terrific article uh, from Thomas and Co. Uh, on the subject of succession planning. And, and it's really crucial to appreciate the benefits. There are some obvious benefits for succession planning in a business. It's obviously cheaper to train a person who's already inside than to go out and hire somebody else. That's clear in the data. But it's also business insurance that you're, 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 you're establishing the idea that the person who was here is continuing along, and so we're creating a flow of what we have. We're, we're ensuring the future of the business. It's also really valuable about brand identity. When you have a person who starts with you, who continues with you, who continues to go forward with you, who moves from the stock room to the mail room, to a desk, to an office, to a leadership position, that ensures brand identity. That person identifies and connects with the brand and the organization and the company and the values, the ethics of that business more than somebody from the outside, faster and quicker and easier than anyone from the outside could ever do it. And so it's important to sort of keep in mind what that is. And of course, by virtue of having thought about this, you have put in the structure and the approach to how not to just to plan for development, but also to actually develop and train people through this process. And so it's important to sort of do those kinds of things and identify that within the course of your work if you're interested in your work succeeding or your, your values succeeding beyond and existing beyond your own time there. So what's really important then is to sort of establish 
how do I think about this? How do I go about this? So it's really, I think, a keen, really basic plan to how this works. The first thing is really to identify your critical future needs. What are we going to need going forward? And this is really thinking strategically and that this succession planning is flowing from your strategy. And that's really the best way to do it. So identify your future needs. Identify the key positions and the key competencies and the key behaviors that are going to then inform and then fill those actual needs. And then obviously the next part is to identify and select the right candidates and people who potentially fill that role. And the fourth one is then to sort of round it out, is to begin the process of not just planning, but developing and interacting with and experiencing for those people and with those people the opportunities to expand their base of horizons, their education, their experience level into the possibilities of those roles, to appreciate what those roles would be, what it will take to fill those roles and those opportunities. And then basically at that point, you're now monitoring and adjusting for that situation. So you're building a process that's born out of your strategy, that's born out of your ethos and your values towards future success. And one step builds on the next. So first is an identification of need. The second is an assessment of, uh, of, of the skills that are necessary for those needs and those roles. Sorry, those roles, filling those needs. Third is identifying and establishing who the potential people are in-house that fill those roles. Four is developing and then beginning to implement the process. And five is monitoring and adjusting for what that is. One of the key things that'll make that really, really work is if it's possible, is to shadow, is to have the opportunity to shadow people in those positions so that you can learn from the, the people who are already in those positions. The opportunity to create sort of stretch programming and projects so people can really expand their horizons in their current role so that when they get to the next role, they're already ready and able to succeed in that role. And the opportunity for them to really have coaching. It's not so much a plug, just so much as the reality that it fits very well into what's going on, is that having the person sit and appreciate what they do well, where they need to improve, what they can improve on, and developing that part of the program too, more than just the company program, the personal program, can really get to that success. Joshua actually has that experience to some degree in the Bible. He is sitting at the feet of Moses throughout. He is a disciple and a student and a close student of Moses from the beginning, he is someone Moses turns to in a moment of need for a general. He is someone who is in the tent, someone who the commentaries and the Talmud describes as the one who is mindful and careful of everyone and every person's needs. He's the one who can do the big things in fighting the war and the small things in setting the tables and the chairs in the study hall. He learns and he grows as he continues to move throughout the process from the time where he leads as a general against the Amalekites to the time where he's standing at the foot of the mountain waiting for Moses to come down to the time when in the camp, when there are a group of people who are prophesying, prophesying in the camp and he speaks back to Moses from the time that he is one of the spies. So Joshua goes through an entire process, albeit he may not appreciate or know, and he's not promised the role. Don't promise the role unless that role is a possibility. He ultimately fills that role. He fills that role better than anybody else could, and incredibly well overall. His success rate as a leader is phenomenal and fantastic. And when, the, when he passes on years later, the people of Israel are settled in the land, for the most part, have done a wonderful and terrific job in really doing that, and almost to some degree 
sort of pain-free experience, let's call it that, a, you know, a sin-free experience for them. And so what you get is the notion that Moses is mindful and careful and worried about this. God has obviously, quote-unquote, thought about this and put this plan in motion. Joshua is there and he is ready. The people are ready. And it established for us a very keen and important point that what we're trying to build here is something that's bigger than us and will exist longer than us and will require succession. That succession in our homes, succession among our peers, succession among our businesses and our entities and wherever that may be. And so we need to value that. We need to plan for it. We need to develop it. And then we need to execute upon it and then adjust as necessary as we continue to go forward. That is Coaching with the Bible for this week, the portion of Pinchas on succession. Those of you celebrating, Shabbat Shalom.